Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney, a 2X startup founder, a UCLA Bruin with a background in engineering and an economics degree, and twice a week we'll be discussing the products, tech, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous cars as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Tuesday, the 7th of May, 2019. This is episode 104. We've got another special guest today. This time it's Henning Latkan. He's coming at us from Karlsruhe in Germany, where he holds a PhD in computer science with distinction from the Karlsruhe Institute for Technology, KIT. So Henning's startup, Atlatech, provides high-fidelity 3D maps for autonomous driving and simulation. Crucially, though, they do all this without any LiDAR, and it's entirely computer vision, camera-based. So really interesting conversation. But before we dive into that, two quick points. The first is, do stick around to the end of our conversation, the very end of the podcast. We've got something pretty cool to share with you regarding a future episode that you won't want to miss. And point number two, well, I'm really excited to announce that I'm moving to Washington, D.C., as in, yeah, I'm relocating from San Francisco, and I'm just moving out there, um, sort of. So it's a short-term move. It's only for a month. And the idea is, well, if you remember back on uh, April Fool's Day, funny enough, I announced that I am now determined to make a full-time career pivot into the autonomous car space. And given my legal background and all the, frankly, unbelievable uncertainty and exciting uncertainty, I should say, in the autonomous car space um, with respect to law and policy generally, um, well, DC seemed to be the perfect place to get started. Um, now, this idea was planted in my head by several people in the autonomous car space. If you're listening, well, you know who you are. So thank you very much for really planting this idea in my head and inspiring me to do this. And of course, a huge thank you to my wife for your support, your encouragement to actually do this crazy move and uh, indeed for coming along with me on this exciting adventure. I should say this is not totally without precedent in my life. I did a similar thing back in, uh, let's see, around Christmas of 2010 when I just sort of up and moved out of my beloved Southern California up to my homeland of Northern California uh, just to look for uh, founders and build a team for my first startup and of course crucially to find investors for our first startup. Um, Never mind that the investors that we ended up working with weren't even from the U.S., let alone Silicon Valley, but that's besides the point. Um, In any event, this just seems to be the really sort of the best, most logical move for me. So anyway, uh, if you're in the autonomous vehicle space and especially involved in law and policy for autonomous vehicles on the Hill or elsewhere besides, let's definitely sync up on LinkedIn, schedule up as many meetings as I can uh, for the next month or so. Very eager to meet up with you. So um, anyway, enough about that. Let's dive in and get started. 30 minutes with Henning Latkan begins now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. 
So Henning, uh, great to connect again. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. You know, it's funny. If you remember when we first connected, what, a week ago, two weeks ago, we had a nice call. Uh, I do believe I said to you, hold on, this is a big mistake. We should be recording this because it's it's a great conversation. And of course it was. Uh, so here we are doing it again. And this time we're recording it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea to be, to be talking again. And uh, this time we can, of course, record everything. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously you've got such a great uh, background. So we'd love to dive into kind of your background academically or otherwise. And then, of course, learn what you guys are up to over at... Uh, Atlatech, um, and uh, kind of see where it goes from there. So I'll just hand it off to you. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself, please. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Henning. Um, I'm living in Germany, in the southwest of Germany, in Karlsruhe, to be specific. And my background is essentially computer science. So after school, I went to Aachen, also in Germany, to go to the university, and I studied computer science. And uh, I also headed to Finland for one short year during my studies to Yevaskula. Um, but overall, it was always computer science related. So I, I kind of got into programming when I was a child. I would say I was like 14, maybe, or 13 years old. And ever since then, I, I kind of liked the idea of becoming better at that computer science stuff. And, and that was essentially the reason for, for um, yeah, then going to college and, and getting a master's degree um, in computer science. Um, after the time in Aachen, which was great, which I enjoyed a lot, I moved to Karlsruhe because I had gotten the opportunity to do some PhD-related uh, work here in Karlsruhe at the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. And back then, it was already involved with perception for autonomous driving with computer vision. And that was probably 2010 or so, maybe 2009, uh, if I recall correctly. And back then it was really a niche. So nobody really believed in this whole uh, self-driving thing. And yeah, basically when I talked to friends about uh, this kind of stuff back then, then they asked me, hey, how do your remote controlled cars are working out? And they didn't even get the difference between remote control in that sense and and self-driving and autonomous so oh, i think that mistake wouldn't happen yeah i think this mistake wouldn't happen today i guess but back then it was a bit of a niche and there weren't so many cars around that that did that kind of stuff but i would say that that looking back it was a good time to start with this because it was shortly before google announced that they were working on that stuff uh, already for some time and um, in my opinion, it really, you know, sets the industry on fire, so to say, and it, it, it launched a lot of momentum. And of course, it was a good, you know, good place to be in then at that stage. So, yeah, that's um, how I got started in, in Karlsruhe working at the KIT here. Mm -hmm. And just to pick a little bit on some of the work specifically with your PhD research, uh, I just see on LinkedIn here, you've, you did some work on loop closure detection. Uh, do you want to touch on that a little bit? I mean... Frankly, the sketch looks like it could almost be a bit of modern artwork, <laughs> but I would imagine there's some <laughs> useful applications to uh, autonomous car driving as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, I mean, of course, that's a um, that's a term that's that's used in this kind of stuff. Um, well, throughout the studies at at KIT, I um, I did get the chance to work on a joint project between KIT and Daimler and that's already kind of the time where I started to look into mapping. 
And in particular, I looked at, at how to create maps from imagery. And uh, if one does this, then uh, typically um, it's a bit of a challenge if you drive and record data for the same part twice or three times or multiple times. So essentially in your data set, you have certain areas which are self-overlapping. And the key thing and one of the challenges that need to be handled is that these areas of self-overlap need to be adjusted to one another. So that essentially means that each of the traversals needs to fit together perfectly. It's, it's like stitching things together, right? And, and that's what loop closing means. So we look at the, at the data that we recorded and that was predominantly uh, imagery from, from cam cameras, uh, stereo cameras um, specifically. And then from there, I, I looked into how you can kind of, you know, find common features and then kind of align these and, and then make sure that everything fits together in the end. That's that's loop closing essentially, mm -hmm. right? Got it. So so yeah, let's talk then more a bit about uh, Atlatech specifically. Um, obviously, as I guess we discussed in our previous call, you know, I've gotten fairly familiar with the various HD mapping solutions that are kind of in development that are out there now. I think I had mentioned to you by you know, done some work with uh, here technologies. Um, do you, do you want to dive into a bit of, I guess, explaining kind of maybe the similarities, but also the differences, say, between what you're the, the work that you're doing with Atlatech and say here, for example, or anybody else, if you like. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, um, clearly in the mapping space, uh, it becomes uh, apparent that um, a very high resolution and detailed map of the environment at least tremendously helps in self-driving. And I would go to, so far to say that this is absolutely necessary to have this. And also one of the, a few of the larger companies out there uh, uh, agree to this. And, and that is the big mapping companies like Kia Technologies, you meant that, mentioned that, and there are a few more in Europe and, and US and Asia. Um, and, and these companies uh, map um, high frequency roads at the moment, like highways and freeways. And uh, they operate a fleet of, of mapping vehicles. And these mapping vehicles are, are vans that have a lot of sensors on, on the roof, uh, which, which to a certain extent makes sense to, to, to approach it this way, which, uh, which carry a LiDAR scanners, uh, multiple LiDAR scanners typically, um, a bunch of cameras, um, very high-resolution GPS receivers, um, inertial uh, motion sensors, uh, which are helping in, in areas where the GPS becomes poorer um, and, and a lot of sensors and all that is recorded. And this fleet collects all the data and the data is then processed. Um, and, and here and, and some of the other bigger uh, mapping companies are mapping um, several hundred thousand uh, miles in, in North America, in Europe and in Japan. And, and these maps are then um, licensed to the automotive industry uh, for higher degrees of autonomy um, and, and it's very helpful and very useful to have these. And this is kind of, let's say, the, the playbook of here technologies and also the other uh, bigger mapping companies. Um, we at Atlatech, uh, we take a slightly different approach to this. Um, in the end, we also want to create a, a very high uh, resolution, high definition, high fidelity 3D map of the environment. And that is also tailored to autonomous driving, but unlike uh, many of the big, bigger mapping companies, we use two cameras, one GPS receiver and a motion sensor and IMU. And that's all that we need to, to build these high definition maps. So basically we started off by removing all the expensive hardware and we ended up with two cameras and a few more things. 
and, and then build software around this, which kind of extracts the same information from the data set that we record and build the same kind of maps that here technologies and others are using, uh, are created, uh, creating with LiDAR. But we, we do the same thing with computer vision, right? Interesting. So, so just to be clear, yeah, you're, you're generating maps solely from computer vision with cameras, no LiDAR at all. So, I mean, that sounds so, so on the one hand, that sounds a lot like, you know, Elon obviously saying that LiDAR is unnecessary, uh, in which case it supports just using computer vision. On the other hand, what do you say with respect to his comment that even HD mapping is unnecessary? Bearing in mind my interpretation of what he said was that static HD maps are unnecessary. I would assume that he supports these so-called real-time updated HD maps. What do you think? Um, well, it really depends on what is meant by autonomous driving. So, I mean, building a prototype car which drives autonomously on a highway without a map, I do, I do agree that this is possible, but does this mean an HD map is unneeded? I don't think so, because, I mean, really removing the driver from the driver's seat and, and building a true, truly autonomous robot taxi, at, let's say for urban environments, even if this vehicle had the capabilities of driving without HD maps, I think simply for redundancy reasons and simply for safety reasons, one would absolutely uh, want to have a map simply because it's much, 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 much safer and also it becomes much, much easier to do all this with an HD map. And this whole autonomous driving is, is I mean, terribly difficult already alone without an HD map. And then every everything that makes it easier should be used, in my opinion. And that also, again, makes it safer. So I do not, I do not uh, agree that these HD maps are needed. Um, I do believe that these will be needed for a few more decades. And of course, uh, it's impossible to predict any, anything further than that. But it just makes life much easier. And, and for that reason, I think they will be around for a long time. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting point, right? Um, I, you're right. I, I believe that Elon's point was indeed that you don't, that you shouldn't need mapping if you've done everything else sufficiently well. If the computer vision is sufficiently good, you wouldn't need any of the mapping. But but you raise this other point, which is a really valid point. Uh why not just have it for backup, just a redundant system? I mean, I've often said many, many times that we need to look to the aviation industry for sort of a role model. Okay, maybe not the immediate history of aviation with Boeing, maybe we can skip over that. But prior to that, anyway, um, to look at them as a role model insofar as the mandate for double, triple, quadruple redundant systems. So I, I guess my question then becomes... Um, it, it sounds like you accept a future where you shouldn't need mapping to function effectively at level four and level even level five, but rather we must have mapping if only for a backup solution. Is, is that correct? 
Well, I wouldn't go so far to say that this will definitely be the case that we will have safe driving cars, which could in principle uh, drive fully autonomously without a map. I do not know with, uh, whether this will happen anytime soon or not, but I could imagine that it could potentially happen eventually. So put it, put it this way, but even if, then I argue that HD maps will still be needed. And it's just a matter of safety. So uh, I, I have kids and I, I really don't want to put my kids in a safe driving car that doesn't have a, have a map simply because it's just safer and it's easier. And, and I think it just should be used just like a very powerful sensor, which brings a lot of information to the self-driving car and that just could, you know, could and should be used in my opinion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and actually, I should say, as we discussed starting the call, I, I don't want this to evolve too much into an Elon and Tesla thing, but but I have to say, um, if we agree that the that the way that you're generating your maps is with camera vision and not using any LIDAR, and if, you know, Elon and Tesla's approach is to use camera vision from which they're able to generate these essentially these 3D models of the world, very similar to what LIDAR can do anyway, then I guess the question becomes, if they're effectively building this stuff in the first place, why not redundantly produce maps off of that data in the first place? I mean, I understand not wanting to use LIDAR because it's, an, it's a whole extra layer of cost and frankly, just physical equipment hanging off the car. But, but if they're already generating this kind of data, it just almost seems like a byproduct. Why not use it? It almost seems like it's an effort not to use it. I know I'm oversimplifying to make a point here, but do, do you understand my question? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I I would build a map from imagery uh, and then use it. Uh, clearly, I mean um, that's essentially what we what we do at Atla Tech here on a on a daily basis. And but then again, I mean there is also a misconception I think uh, sometimes at least that only because someone create can create a point cloud from imagery, it doesn't mean they can create a map. I mean, of course, there's that's no clear definition of what an HD map should or should not be but in our opinion and we work heavily and very tightly with the industry in the, in this area we believe that point cloud is simply not a map it's a good starting point and it's difficult enough but it's not a map so there is an extra layer at least one extra layer which is needed and that's all the semantic information and that doesn't get there magically either right so um and that also be goes beyond detecting a few road signs and lane, lane markings um, and then all that needs to be related. That's yet another thing which is typically underestimated of, let's say, how lanes are interconnected in an intersection. That's extremely valuable information, but non, it's not trivial to extract that information uh, from sensor data. Um, and then as a third level, uh, again, this is very important, is that you need a, a level um, of, of information in your HD map, which you can use to relocalize relative to that map. Because yeah. then and only then it really starts to make sense, right? Yeah, that's a really good point, a really good distinction. And obviously, thanks for clarifying that. That is, that is certainly true. I, I get it. The point cloud is not sufficient to have a map. It's just a starting uh, point. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. So so what about insofar as the, the whole, I mean, deployment? I mean... Uh, just thinking beyond Tesla, of course, I mean, just in the general sense. So, so obviously we've got all these different kind of angles to approach the development of and deployment of autonomous cars. There, there's so much kind of up in the air now. And so far as the realistic timelines, I mean, if we accept and assume that this, that, that, that HD mapping, like you're working on is in fact a necessary condition to full deployment of autonomous cars, then what would, what is kind of your, assumption of how this deployment is going to look like when it's going to occur and in what fashion what form it's going to take 
Yeah, that's of course a a very interesting uh, question, and and we discuss these kind of things uh, oftentimes here uh, at Atlatech. And we don't have a crystal ball, so we don't know for sure, but of, we have a feeling for what it could be like, right? So I think there should be a clear distinction between self-driving on highways and self-driving in urban areas, right? And for highways, here technologies and all the other big or the few other big uh, mapping companies, I think they know what they're doing and they kind of pretty much have it covered, right? But for urban mobility, it's it's slightly different thing. And here, I believe for quite some time, it will be heavily geofenced, right? So I don't think we have to map the entire globe first to get it off the ground, right? I think it will be small areas, maybe parts of cities here and there where where these um, self-driving urban mobility will, uh, will evolve first. And here, in my opinion, um, there needs to be two things. Uh, one uh, is a first version of the map, which simply needs to be created. So somebody has to drive there, record the data, process the data, create the maps out of it. And then there will be a second phase in which all that stuff needs to be updated and maintained. And on the long run, I believe that creating the map is difficult enough. Keeping it up to date is even more difficult. And I think this is really where where research is already focused on, um, not only here, but also in all, all the mapping companies, I believe. Um, and that's very exciting and very, very interesting stuff. And uh, yeah, maybe even uh, if I may, bridging the gap to your initial question about loop closing, and that's essentially what it is, right? So when you drive there where you have recorded data previously, then you have to smooth that into what you have, into the base map in order to you know, correctly create these updates. So this is what it boils down to then, like aligning data that you record from from, from your agents uh, and then aligning it with, with what you have in the base map and then making updates. Interesting, interesting. So, okay, yeah, actually, if you want to go into some more detail about that sort of work, it'd be really interesting to hear because frankly, we've not really talked much about the actual development of the mapping. Um, so certainly happy to open it up if you want to talk more about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, of, of course, I, I, I have a bit of the focus here on, on how we do things here. Um, but as it shows resemblance, I think, to, to many other approaches out there. So uh, we at Atlatech, we record the, the, the data with a sensor part, uh, which, which I mentioned before. Um, our dominant sensor uh, are two cameras. So we mount them such that they can be used as a stereo camera to get depth information um, from this. And then first we need to extract the trajectories of the mapping vehicle very accurately. So that means how, how did the mapping vehicle move through the area for which we want to create the map. And that involves uh, many different steps. Um, under the hood, it's, it's, it's heavily employing um, yeah, some, some optimization methods in which certain observations from the sensor signal, so imagery, uh, image point correspondences, and, and the motion sensors, the IMU and the GPS are all deeply coupled and, and fused into one smooth, smooth and, and consistent um, yeah, bunch of trajectories. And, and consistency, again, is, is key. So if there is a self-overlap, it needs to fit together perfectly. And no one can uh, blindly rely on GPS in this case, even if it's high resolution and differential, it's not enough. Um, so that's essentially the first uh, part of, of, I think, most mapping pipelines and also ours. And 
From there, um, all the different objects can then be extracted, like lane geometry, signage, curbstones, guardrails, guideposts, traffic lights, vertical posts, and many, many more different objects which, which are needed. And, and that, uh, that can be extracted from, from, the, from the images that are recorded during, during the mapping runs. And these can then, in the last step, be reconstructed in 3D and cast into a, cast into a representation that um, the target um, platform can then use, which is the self-driving car. So the last part, essentially, compiling the raw um, map uh, into a vectorized map and that then uh, into a file format, uh, into a map format, which, which can be used and, and yeah, into some standard map format, essentially. So the last part is, is, is really customer-specific. So there is a handful of formats out there. Um, this is not a single dominant uh, standard format. Um, maybe it's evolving, but time will tell. And this typically yeah, requires also some work to, to, to get the right uh, file format supported in the end as a last step. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. And I realized it was a very loaded question when I uh, opened it up to you, but um, the reason I was asking, there, there was a reason for this. I mean, the, the fact is this is a really involved, obviously supremely complicated thing to get right. And, and I, and I get that. And I think a lot of folks probably get that without fully understanding what you've just described. I think it's intuitively a massively complex thing. Here's my point. Um, if we accept and if we assume it's true that indeed mapping is sort of a condition precedent to deploy even level four and certainly level five vehicles, you know, then this is a ton of work. And so to the point that you mentioned a bit earlier, um, and something I've said quite a bit in the past as well, why is everybody so obsessed with reaching level five? I mean, if we define level four as basically geofenced deployment, well, then why don't we just focus on that and call it a day? I mean, that would be a great, great success if we had level four cars running around in all the major boulevards and even certain freeways um, of various countries around the world. That would be a great win. Why is everybody so obsessed with this? We've got to get to level five and make it work everywhere in all conditions. I mean, even humans can't drive everywhere in all conditions. Um, that's I, li I like the question a lot. Um, frankly, I don't know. So I, I would agree to you that why not geofence it? I mean, uh, it makes sense. It's natural and it can evolve over time and the regions where these systems can be deployed safely and, and, and yeah, uh, in a proven fashion, then that these regions can grow over time by request. And why not approach it this way? So I, in my opinion, it makes perfect sense to, to approach it this way. And why is everybody so obsessed with level five? Mm, not sure. So... I mean, I mean it's it almost possible, like a marketing then, stunt or something. Like, oh, look at us. We're working on level five. We are special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably certainly also true that uh, it sounds good. <laughs> I mean, because I don't and know if it, you've heard me say in the past, right? Like, when, if, when, if you think about it, I mean, an electric bus or a trolley car in a city, that's basically a geofenced solution. But nobody looked at those things and said, oh, those are useless or, oh, they're so limited, right? I mean, a train is effectively geofenced. 
yeah, how, how much more geofenced uh, can you be than, than on a train, right? I mean, um, <laughs> I perfectly sure. agree, right? And, and look at different use cases. Let's say uh, last mile delivery in certain areas where you have yeah, some yeah. Mm -hmm. combination of, of mixed, uh, mixed mobility with, with uh, um, public transport uh, or mass transit, uh, which, which, which is big here in, in, in Europe and elsewhere. Um, that, that would make sense. Or, or even for trucking fleets, I mean, they typically drive on the same routes over and over again. Um, there's a lot of momentum in this area also. I mean, that's essentially also geofenced. And I mean, it would make sense to start mapping and, and also autonomous driving on, on these areas, uh, yeah, which are, which are geofenced. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it seems to me that's the sort of smarter strategic way to go about things. I mean, after all, I think the first company that can say, hey, we've got a vehicle that we've deployed in, I don't know, Frankfurt or in San Francisco or Manhattan. No, it can't drive everywhere. But hey, it'll get you exactly where you need to go really, really well, faster than the train, the metro, and for a lot less money. That to me seems to be a pretty epic goal and would be an amazing, astonishing win. Yeah, to me too. So I agree. I, I would like to see this. Um, I also frankly believe that this will be uh, a goal that, that is reachable within yeah realistic timeframes, still years probably, but, but not decades. So I think that can be reached. And for that, coming back to mapping, uh, it's also manageable. I mean... Um, it would be tremendously difficult to map the entire globe for any company out there, uh, no matter how big. But for for these geofenced areas, I think it's it's absolutely transferable. Mm -hmm. So how about this? In the last five minutes or so, I, I know it might be perhaps a marginally unfair question given the context, but I think it's worth discussing. I mean, you know, when when people like you and you know working on the mapping solution component of all of this, and you know, help to eventually deploy autonomous cars, there is obviously still this very big question of, well, increased traffic. Um, I've always suggested the admittedly perhaps overly simplistic solution that you simply penalize empty autonomous cars, you know, so if you've got an autonomous car, it's mm -hmm. got to have passengers in it. And there is precedent for this, at least in the US, you've got penalties. If you take the so-called carpool lane, you know, the express lane on the freeway, if you mm -hmm. use those without a passenger, you will get penalized. It's difficult to enforce, you know, uh, a, a highway patrol officer has to actually drive by your car and, you know, look inside. But what do you think about this? Because mm -hmm. honestly, it's not talked about that much. And it's a very, very big problem. And we see it becoming a problem because it's already an issue ever since the deployment of Uber and Lyft around the world. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I like the discussion a lot. And I think it's at least here in Europe, uh, it's it's a bit underestimated uh, of what that impact could be. So assume for a moment we have self-driving cars, right? So I think it would be natural for these mega cities and metropolises where, where I mean, space is, is, is a scarce resource and, and let's say parking lots are, are very expensive to send your self-driving car home during the workday because at home your car can park uh, for free whereas where you work you have to pay right but that would lead then to and you know doubling traffic because the cars go to, from home to work and back uh, twice during a single day right it's just one example or you effectively double the rush hour traffic jam yeah, exactly right but it's already there's already traffic jams now so if you double that i mean how is that going to work out right or likewise, if people, let's say, could uh, live further from the city where they work because they can just, let's say, uh, jump on the car at four in the morning and take a nap and sleep another hour on the 
on the car, they will maybe even double the distance they drive every morning simply because they can sleep while they drive. That again would increase. Exactly. It's the autonomous car analog to widening freeway lanes. You add lanes, you don't help traffic. You enable people to go further, you yeah, don't exactly, help traffic. Yeah. Um, so uh, penalizing, uh, let's say, um, yeah, empty um, self-driving cars. Yeah, I, 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 it's a good question. I don't know, but I, I cannot really see any alternative to to doing this, right? Um, otherwise, it it may. I mean, either it's going to be a penalty or it's going to be an incentive, right? Either you penalize them, you you you, you charge them a fine, or you pay them some sort of I don't know what subsidy or something if they have passengers, right? It's going to take yeah. one form or the other. Yeah, one form or the other. Yeah. So the analog of a of a carpool lane, um, I think it would make sense, but I don't really have a solution. I must say. I mean, recognizing the lack of a solution is a good answer, honestly, because it is a difficult question to get right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I think this is a pretty cool segue into how we should close out today. Because what do you think? Why don't we kind of announce to everybody what you'll be joining us for next week? I think it's yeah. I'm excited to join another call with uh, Martin and Felix. Um, Looking forward to it. Uh, you know, one of the great things about doing this podcast the last 14 months has been the opportunity to connect with and indeed even to meet face-to-face -face some of the most fascinating, brilliant people from all over the world. You know, CEOs, founders, engineers, investors, academics like like you, Henning, and indeed in the past, um, other PhDs like Martin Adler from the Netherlands and Justin Shore from, from Philadelphia. And, you know... The last week or so, Martin and Justin and Henning and another colleague of ours, Felix Dohmeyer from Germany, you know, we got to talking about it and we realized, you know, it'd be really, really cool if we would all get together and do sort of a one hour mega episode using uh, Tesla Autonomy Day as sort of the inspiration, kind of the launch pad for just a full blown open ended conversation about all things autonomous vehicles. Well, the not so good news is that unfortunately, Felix will be unable to join us. Uh, but don't worry, Felix, if you're listening to this, we promise to get you on the show sooner rather than later. Um, but Martin, Justin, and Henning are all signed on. So Thursday morning, my time anyway, uh, we will be jumping into a Zencaster room to record a one-hour episode. Uh, so Justin will be tuning in from Philadelphia. Martin Adler will be joining us from the Netherlands. And of course, Henning will be joining us again from Germany. Um, so it'll be recorded Thursday, um, and it's going to go live Friday, the 17th of May, and it's going to be the season three finale. Yeah, I think I, I really can't think of a better way to close out this incredible third season of the show. But uh, anyway, look, I'm very much looking forward to this. This will be an incredible thing. So don't forget to tune in, certainly uh, Friday, the 17th of May, for the season three finale where I'll be joined by three PhDs, experts in the autonomous vehicle space. This will be just a fantastic thing. And obviously, in the meantime, I thank you very much for your call, for your time this morning. And uh, it's been great talking with you uh, again. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, having me here on, on your show. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you and looking forward to the next, uh, next time in a few days. Very good. Sounds good. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, well, that is a wrap for today. Henning, a huge thank you again for your time, and well, I'm looking forward to talking with you in just two days. 
Um, to everybody else, don't forget you can follow me on social media at Autonomous Hogue. I'm also on Reddit now. Um, meanwhile, very much looking forward to meeting up with all of you in DC in the coming month. So let's definitely connect on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Enjoy the rest of the week. I'll see you back here on Friday. Bye-bye.